0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I got to introduce a great buddy of mine. Uh, We met about three, four years ago on a golf course, the ordained place where you meet great people, Uh, Robbie Hilton, pastors in Tennessee, great church in Tennessee, Calvary, and um, you know when you meet somebody and you're just like, man, I think we're going to be buddies for a long time. That was Robbie for me. He, he, um, he's one of those guys when you meet him, you can just tell he's got one of those spirits that just pleases God. He, he, he loves with a passion, but he's got such a meek and humility about him that I just love so much. Um, he just, he takes God very seriously and nothing else really that seriously. And that's what I love about him. Um, here's a really cool fact about Robbie. He met his wife at age eight years old at kids camp. Come on now. Let me They're celebrating their 26-year wedding anniversary this week in Napa, yes? Come on now. That's amazing. Um, and so if you're single, go to more church things, all right? That's where you're going to find them, all right? Uh, I just want to give honor to Robbie and Monica. Would you guys stand up? Would you want stand up real quick, Monica? I want to say thank you for being here. Coming all the way from Tennessee. Robbie Hill, get up here. Come on now.
1: Anybody in the room love Jesus today? Come on, let's do a little bit better than that. I think we can give God some real praise today. He's been good. Man, I love the worship here so much. Are you thankful for your worship team? They're just amazing. Wow. Man, I could have just sat in that presence all day and I'm so grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here and to share with you. What a beautiful church family. What a beautiful part of the world you're in and uh so special for us I met my wife at eight we didn't get married at eight okay the way you told that story (laughs) I'm from Tennessee so I didn't want them to assume that (laughs) I'm not from West Virginia all right okay anyhow that's it's early (laughs) but uh we're so 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 grateful to be here and your pastors mean the world to us they're special to us we did meet on a golf course just not just any golf course pebble beach is where we met and uh wow you have a great pastor he's a great golfer you have a great pastor's wife you guys are blessed aren't you so blessed aren't you so thankful love y'all thank you for having us well, I'm going to get into this message, and uh, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. I want to preach to you from this thought today. Falling isn't failing. Falling isn't failing. Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 1, and uh, I really hope that this message blesses your heart today. Daniel 10:1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. I had no idea you guys were getting ready to go into fasting and prayer. It's part of what we're talking about today. Who was called Belshazzar? Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. And I don't know why the Bible has to throw this in there, but I used no lotion at all <laughs> until three weeks were over. <laughs> so weird. On the 24th day of the month, as I was standing on the bank of the Great River, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speak, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, the New Living Translation says, Daniel, you are precious to God. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Not an actual physical person, but a spiritual person high place a spiritual uh enemy that resisted this man the bible says so he resisted me for 21 days but i called on michael he said and he came he's the chief of princes he came and helped me because i was detained there now i have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask over these moments we have together that you would speak clearly to us. Thank you for bringing us together in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm here today to do a few things. I'm here to remind you and maybe inform some of you that you are in a fight against an enemy that hates you. wants to destroy your life. He, he hates your future. He hates the word that God has spoken over your life. But I've got better news than the enemy hates you. God loves you. And if God is for you, come on somebody, then who can be against you? So we are obviously clearly in a war against an aggressive adversary. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says that we should be sober and alert in our mind for the enemy. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may Devour. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about over my life, some of the things that have happened in my life that I've blamed on the devil. You ever blame something on the devil that wasn't actually the devil? It was just you. <laughs> I had a guy to come to me a few weeks ago at church. He was, he was upset. And he came to me. He was like, Hey man, the devil's really been messing with me. I mean, I got to church today and, and my parking spot was gone. And I'm like, brother, the devil didn't steal your parking spot. That was Tom. Tom took your parking spot, and Tom took your parking spot because you were late, homie. That's like... That's why. And so I think there are a lot of things we give the devil credit for that the devil is not actually doing in our lives. But he is actively trying to harm us, to stop us from everything that God has for us. But even though he is as a roaring lion, we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. Come on, somebody. I'm I'm grateful today that, yes, the enemy is on the attack, but God is greater than all of the attacks of the enemy. Um, I was thinking about it this way, in Luke 22, 32, Jesus actually has a conversation with the disciples and Peter in particular, and he says to him, he says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John 10 and 10, he said, the thief comes to steal from you, to kill you and to destroy you. But Jesus goes on to say in Luke 22, 32, he says, but I have prayed for you. That's that's good news, isn't it? Is anybody in the room just thankful Jesus is praying for me today? So he says, "Here's, here's how I view the enemy. Yes, he has desired to sift you, but I have prayed for you. And I think if we're not careful, we will put more confidence in the enemy's ability to sift us than the ability of Jesus to pray for us. And today I came to tell somebody that there is more power behind you than you could possibly imagine. You have an advocate with the Father, even Christ Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God right now praying for you that your faith would not fail. But he tells the disciples, he says, I think you should pray so that you don't fall into temptation. This is an interesting thing. Jesus is giving us two aspects or two dynamics of prayer that he prays for us. And his prayers keep us from failing in our faith. But my prayers keep me from falling into temptation. And and God knows that we will fall into temptation, right? So he prays for us so that when we fall, he says to Peter, when you fall, you will return. Reminds me of what Proverbs says when Proverbs tells us that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And we get back up not because we, have, we are awesome. We get back up because we have a God who is praying for us right now. And so I came to tell you today, falling isn't failing. And sometimes what you think is a failure of faith is not a failure of faith. Sometimes it's a failure to stay engaged in the fight. So Jesus says, you should pray that you don't fall into temptation. Daniel chapter 10, verses 8 through 9. This is an interesting story in Daniel 10. Daniel has this encounter with this man, the Bible says. And when he encounters this man, he's, he's glowing his His body is on fire. He's made of bronze. His eyes are like torches, the Bible says. And he has all of these incredible things happening. And then Daniel has this encounter where he says, and then I heard him speak and I fell into a deep sleep. It's almost as if Daniel had this fear come upon him. If you ever read the Bible, you notice that almost anytime an angel shows up, the angel has to tell the person that he appears to, hey, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm for you. This is not an attack of God. I'm actually here to strengthen you and encourage you. And it's as if Daniel's having this same experience. He's like looking at this man and he's amazed by how he looks. But then the Bible says, then he hears the man speak and everything begins to change. The Bible says, I heard him speak, and then I fell on my face in a deep sleep. I was afraid, but then I heard him speak. And this is why it's important for us to stay engaged in prayer. This is why this time of prayer and fasting coming up is so important for you as a local church. Because we need to know what the voice of God sounds like so that when other voices speak, we know that that isn't God. Because when God speaks, it doesn't cause anxiety in my life. It doesn't cause fear in my life. It actually causes me to rest and fall into a sleep. Oh, man. So you and I need to know what he sounds like so when he speaks, we know it's him and when it's not him. And that voice that can shake the earth isn't meant to shake me. It's meant to calm me. That voice that makes nations stand still causes me to rest. And then Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, he said this, he said, and then a hand touched me. So I heard a voice and this voice put me to sleep, but then a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Remember I told you the new living translation says, Daniel, you are precious to God. You who are highly esteemed, he says, consider the words that I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, he said, I stood up trembling. Notice this. He says that Daniel is on his face and then he gets up on his hands and knees and then he finally makes it up on his feet. This is important for us to know that when we fall, our recovery is not always from our face to our feet. Anybody in the room find yourself maybe just a little bit on your hands and knees right now? You're not all the way up, but you're not where you used to be. I wonder if there's anybody in the room today who's grateful that I might not be where I want to be, but I am definitely not where I used to be. And the Bible says that he gets up on his hands and knees and then he finally makes it up on his feet. And when he gets up on his feet, he says, I was trembling. I was trembling. I think it's important for you and I to understand that today, even though God is calling us to our feet. He's not calling us to our feet because everything is right in our life. He's not calling us to our feet because we've got it all together. As a matter of fact, he calls us to our feet and he wants us to stand even though we don't have it all together, even though there are still some tremblings in our life, even though some things are still shaking, God is calling us to stand today. And I came to challenge you today, man, go ahead and stand. God tells you to stand, stand. Doesn't matter what people say, doesn't matter what people do, doesn't matter what they think about you. If God told you to stand, then stand, man. If God said it, then do it. And even if your, ne- your, your knees are knocking and your heart is beating and your, your head is swimming, go ahead and stand today. Not because you are strong, but because he is strong. Not because you have all the answers, but because he has all the answers. Go ahead and stand trembling if you have to. Sometimes you have to stand with a little pain in your heart. Sometimes you have to stand with tears in your eyes. Sometimes you have to stand while you are trembling. And then listen. So he says, I heard his voice. He puts me to sleep. He touched me with his hand and he lifted me up. And then listen what the voice says in verse 11. Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Daniel, you are precious to God. Verse 12 says, he says to Daniel, don't be afraid. Verse 18, he says to Daniel, don't be afraid afraid. You are precious to God. I need you to know that whenever you are going through something that feels like falling, I need you to know and believe that no matter what your condition today, you are precious to God. I don't want you to ever confuse your condition in life with your position with God. When, when Jesus and Pilate were talking in the New Testament, Jesus and Pilate were having a conversation and Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, hey, don't you know that I'm in control here? Like your life is in my hands. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, I don't, I don't mean to disappoint you, but no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on myself and I'll take it back up of myself. In other words, he's saying to Pilate, never confuse my condition with my position. I know it looks like I'm weak right now, but I'm, I'm strong. I know it looks like I'm on my face right now, but I'm about to get back up. And, it, and, and there's even a verse in the Bible that says to, it says that we should think of, of, of our failures this way when the enemy tries to gloat over us and we're on the ground and he's gloating over us, he says, don't gloat over me because just as quickly as I fail, I'm going to get back up And I feel for some people in the room today is the day that you get back up. Today is the day that you stand back up on your feet. Today is the day where you respond to that call of God to stand up, knowing that no matter what I've done. I'm precious to God. So good. I'm precious to God. I matter to God. First John four sixteen through eighteen says this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He says, "God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them." This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, listen to this massive theological statement. In this world, we are like Jesus. That is wild to me. So there is no fear in love. Why? Because in this world, I'm like Jesus. I'm not going to be like Jesus when I I die and go to heaven. I am like Jesus now in this life. He says, so perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? With punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So discipline, the Bible teaches us that the Lord will discipline us, but discipline produces a harvest. Punishment is final and hopeless. And this whole thing is in Daniel chapter 10 is this encounter that Daniel has where he, he is in the presence of the Lord. And Daniel has this kind of mindset as this is all happening that he doesn't really belong there. There's this fear, there's this trembling, there's this nervousness about this encounter. And the, the, the man is constantly letting Daniel know, hey, don't be afraid, you belong here. And if I was your enemy, I would do everything in my power To make you believe that you don't belong in the presence of the Lord. To make you feel like you aren't welcome in the presence of God. And I would start to develop that mindset in your life by you living, first of all, with an assumption that the presence of God is a place you go and not your new address. And for so many people in the room, the presence of God is, is this place that I go. The presence of God is where I go on Sunday. But that was never intended to be the life that God gave his son to give you. He gave you his son so that you could be perpetually always in his presence. And, and the reason his presence is so important, Psalm 16 and 11 says that the, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that is not a place I go. That is a place that I am now seated in Christ. So good. I'm in his presence. So God is always present with us and we are always present with him through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we believe. Listen, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. I'm not going to be God's possession. I'm not going to eternity. I am actually... Eternity started when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Eternity is not what happens when I die. Eternity is right now. I'm living in his presence. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 say this, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Goodness gracious, that means that right now, because you understand and know that the realm of the spirit is more real than the realm that we are sitting in right now. This realm, Hebrew says, by by faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, God took invisible things and made this visible place that we are seated in right now. So the more real thing in my life is not where I'm sitting in this room right now. The more, the greater reality is that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. And listen, the presence of God is not a place I, I'm on the outside looking in. I belong in the presence of God. You've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit and me. And we're just hanging out in the throne room. I came to convince somebody today that you don't just belong in a church room. You don't just belong around the presence of God. You belong in the throne room with the Lord himself. It's where you belong. Well, Robbie, you don't know what I did. None of that matters. You're not there because of you. You are there because Jesus invited you in. Oh, my goodness. So I'm seated with him right now. If I was your enemy, I would convince you of that. I would convince you presence is where you go. It's not where you live. I'd convince you that eternal life is something that starts after you die. Why? Because if I can convince you of that, I can keep you second-guessing your salvation and fill you with fear about the afterlife. But if you know I'm already seated there... I'm not, I'm not living the rest of my life trying to figure out, am I going to be with God? No, because I am with God right now and nothing can separate me from that relationship that I am in, not in the future, right now. So I want to convince you of that today you are already living in eternity. If I was your enemy, I would convince you that you don't belong in his presence by making you restless. I would keep you from that voice that calms you and makes you sleep I'd make you restless by making you believe that you're never enough. That's why your flesh honestly hates to hear that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your flesh hates that. We hate to hear that because we're like, no, 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 I am not that. I, you have no idea, Robbie. <laughs> I'm the furthest thing from the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our flesh rebels against that. And there's something, we've, we've got we've to do something to make ourselves righteous before God. Because our flesh hates to hear that you are God's righteousness. Hates that. Because why? When you believe that, the overflow of that belief is rest. The overflow of believing that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is a heart that is at rest. Let me prove it to you in 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 19 through 24 says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive Anything we ask. Why? Because we keep his commandments. See, Robbie, I told you it was about doing all stuff right and just being right and always making all the right decisions and like keep reading. What are the commands? He says, and this is his command believe in his son and love people. We've made it too complicated. Our flesh wants to keep some rules and regulations and check off a list. God's like, I just want you to believe that I love you. And when you believe I love you, the overflow of me loving you the way you were meant to be loved is you will love other people the way I love you. Oh, man. What does the enemy want? He wants us to constantly wonder about our standing with God so that he can keep us out of rest. Because if we are in rest, then we can ask God anything and know with confidence that he's going to do it. So he doesn't just give us enough righteousness to get in. He gives us his righteousness so that when we are face to face with him, we believe we belong there. In the Old Testament, there's not really a word for presence. It's this Hebrew word panim that doesn't mean presence at all. It actually means face to face. So when we're talking about the presence of God, we're not just talking about an atmosphere that's electric or a goosebump that you feel or a... a shiver that you feel. It's way more than that. The presence of God literally is face to face with God. And that's where you belong. That's where you belong. So the enemy doesn't want you to pray with confidence because he knows when you pray with confidence, you'll receive what you ask. He knows that if you can see God face to face, then you will never question the will of God. Because you will never pray a prayer outside of his will because you will always pray prayers that are consistent with what you see in his face. And because religion doesn't understand face to face, people are always wondering what the will of God is. I don't have to wonder what the will of God is when the idea didn't originate in me. It originated from face to face. It originated in his presence. You can live face to face. If I was your enemy, I'd make you believe that conviction is condemnation. Conviction will not only reveal sin, but conviction gives you a way out of your sin. And conviction is rooted in God's love for you. Conviction is God's way of protecting you and blessing you. It's God's way of saying, I've got more and I've got better for you. I'm here. Let me help you and walk you out of this, right? That's conviction. Judas and Peter, they did about the same thing in the New Testament, but Judas could not find any change. Judas could not find any forgiveness. As a matter of fact, Judas actually, this is what's wild about Judas. Judas, when he realizes that he's done something wrong, the Bible says he takes the money and he goes back to the temple and he throws the money into the temple and he says, I have betrayed an innocent man. He actually says he's sorry. But he goes to the wrong place. He goes to religion and all religion can say. What do they say when Judas throws the money in the temple? Religion turns to him and says, what do we have to do with that? How is that our problem? That's all religion can do for you. But a relationship face to face, you go to God and you say, this is what I've done. This is what's going on in my life. God doesn't say, hey, that's your problem. God says, no, that's my problem. I'll take the, I'll take the punishment for what you did. I'll take it on me. Oh, man, if I can get face to face, everything can change in my life. Peter, the Bible says about Peter, he betrayed Jesus. And after he betrays Jesus the third time, the Bible says that right after that, Jesus looks at him and Peter is able to see Jesus. The Bible says that Peter goes out and he weeps after that. He's denied Jesus. He's seen the eyes of Jesus and he goes out and he weeps over his falling. But remember, his falling wasn't a failure of faith. It was his unwillingness to stay engaged in the fight. The faith was still there. So when, think about this, when Jesus raises from the dead and the tomb is empty and they go in and they look in the tomb and they realize Jesus isn't there and they go back the women do and they tell the disciples the bible says that Peter and John run to the tomb notice the difference Judas ran to religion Peter ran to an empty tomb it matters where you run when you fall Judas ran to a relationship that says, that's your problem. Your issues are your issues. Jesus ran, or Peter ran to an empty tomb. And I think, I think about this for a second. There is no way that Peter runs to that empty tomb if there is any shame in his heart still about what he did. He's not running to try to look for Jesus. If he's doing anything, he's running away. But there he is running to Jesus. And I believe that when Peter looked into the eyes of Jesus, when he failed, he didn't see condemnation. He didn't get any shame from Jesus. I think when he looked in his eyes, those eyes that he had seen up close for over three years, I think when he looked in those eyes, he saw Jesus who said, it's okay, I'll be back. I'll see you soon. And when Peter heard that the tomb was empty, he ran to find Jesus. Jesus isn't in the tomb and then the next next few days are so wild. Jesus actually appears to the disciples. And so Peter knows that Jesus is alive. Peter has seen Jesus. And the Bible says this. It says that <laughs> that Peter and the disciples are hanging out and Peter looks at them and he says this. He says, "Hey guys, I'm going fishing." And my whole life, I have heard that story like this. "Guys, I'm going fishing." I'm going back to my old life. I can't deal with all of this pressure and I can't deal with all of this disappointment, but that cannot be the case because Peter literally knows Jesus is alive. He's seen him. So Peter, the Bible says, he says, I'm going fishing. And the disciples are like, we're coming with you. And they get out on the water and they fish all night long. And Jesus is actually there watching and he's cooking a meal of fish On the shore and he looks out to the disciples and he goes, hey, children, have you in any fish? Have you caught anything? And I love how Jesus starts this conversation. He says, hey, children, he doesn't say, hey, betrayers, hey, failures, failures. You know, you had your opportunity to stand with me and you were disloyal and you walked away from me. I can't ever use you again. No, he says, hey, children, come on, somebody. He wants to remind them that your condition is not your position. You are still my child. I still want to use you. I still have a call on your life. And John recognizes it's Jesus. And he says, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat. You think if there's any shame in Peter's heart about what he had done, he's jumping out of this boat to go to Jesus. No, he's he's going to Jesus because Jesus looked him in the eyes and said something different than religion says. And I love this because Peter, when he jumps out of this boat and he gets to shore, Jesus has this conversation with him and he restores his life. And when he restores his life, the Bible says that he does it around a coal fire. When was the last time Peter was around a coal fire? He was around a coal fire when he denied him in front of that girl in the courtyard. And here Jesus is, is cooking some fish on a coal fire because he wanted Peter to know that the worst thing that you've ever done isn't gonna be the last thing that you'll ever do. And I wanna redefine so that you don't go the rest of your life and every time you smell coal, you're reminded of your greatest mistake. I want, to, I want you, the next time you smell coal, I want you to remember that this is the place that you were restored and this is the place where I called you again and this is the place where I renewed our relationship together. Oh man, I love this. And so Peter finds himself in this place where it's like, yeah, he fell, he fell hard, but he didn't fail. falling isn't failing in Daniel chapter 10 Daniel and the this man have a conversation and Daniel is listening and the angel goes or the Lord whoever you think this is <laughs> he says Daniel he goes um, sorry it's been a minute since uh, you reached out um but I I'm here now but I want to let you know that from the first day you set your heart to understand can you see Daniel he's like are you kidding me right now from the first day I've been fasting for 21 days and you're telling me you heard me the first day yeah the first day So what you're telling me is like, I didn't put lotion on for 21 days, but you heard me the first day. (laughs) And I think sometimes we, we look at the fast that Daniel committed his life to and we see it as like a formula for getting God to do something. But I don't think that was Daniel's heart at all. I think Daniel was not fasting to get God to do something or to... Get God to speak to him. Daniel, I believe, was fasting because he knew he would. And he wanted his heart to be ready when he did. And so when we enter into this fast over these next few days, I, I, I want you fasting and praying because you're trying to get God to do something. You're trying to get God to hear you. No, pray because you know he does. Fast to get your heart ready because an answer is coming sometimes what seems like a failure of execution is actual spiritual opposition. And you need to have the patience to wait and say, I know God heard me the first day, but maybe there are some things that he is working out behind the scenes that I don't know about because all of God's promises in Christ are still yes and amen. I don't have to wonder if he will answer. I know he's gonna answer. I just want my heart to be ready when he does. And I know he will because I'm precious to God precious to God. Maybe you could bow your head with me this morning. Maybe there's some people in this room today who are struggling, wondering if you really matter to the Lord. It's one thing for us to say, you know, God loves you, but it's another thing for you to really experience and know that love. And I'm praying that for you today. If you're here you're going through something and it has you questioning Does God even hear me? Does God care? Is he aware? Oh, listen to me. He is very aware. He is connected to every detail of your life. But sometimes there is opposition to your prayer. There is opposition to your obedience. There is opposition to your life. And God is working some things out behind the scenes that maybe you're not aware of. And so I came to tell you, even though you feel like maybe he is not answering you, maybe, could it possibly be that he is right now working all things together for you? And even though you can't see the answer yet, the answer is on the way. So I don't want you to, in this situation, ever for a moment believe that God doesn't love you and that you are not precious to God. Maybe you're here in this room today and you feel far from God. Right now, you don't feel like you have a relationship with God, and maybe that's because you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe that's because you've been walking your own way, doing your own thing, and today is the day where you say, I want to know Jesus as Lord, and maybe today is the day where you say, I'm coming home, I'm coming back. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air, and I'm going to pray with you, and I believe in this moment that God is going to supernaturally begin to transform your life. If that's you, and you say, man, I feel far from God today, and I want to be brought near to God, I want to be in this face-to-face with God, where I belong, if it's for the first time or the hundredth time, if that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air, if that's you, awesome, awesome, I see you. Come on, more importantly, the Lord sees you today. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for those that lifted their hand? Hallelujah. Come on, can we all stand up on our feet this morning and can we pray this prayer with those that lifted their hand? Let's say this, dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take it all. all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord.